muscles knotted in Bobber Khan's bull neck as he twisted his head and spat. He wielded a salawar, the sword knife of the Afghan tribesman, two feet of shadow-patterned Damascus steel older than Islam, with a single-edged blade that tapered to a diamond point and a hilt, braided with leather and silver wire. A leering face carved of yellow ivory glared from the pommel. The Lion of Cairo, Scott Oden. Hello and welcome to episode 9. Yes, episode 9 of Rogues in the House. Here we have a very special episode today. Um, we have a author of five novels, two of which are fantasy uh, two of um, to our historical fiction. Uh, we will definitely get into this. Our special guest today is Scott Odin. Scott, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Very happy to have you. I'm glad we could make it work. <laughs> on uh, on the sides, we have uh, our other jabronis over here. I think Matt Matt usually says jabronis, right? You like that term a lot. Uh, that's right. They say jabronis. Oh, oh shoot. No. I'm, uh, I'm Matt. Uh, yeah, yes. I, I watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and they they say jabroni on there, but, and uh, <laughs> I just can't I can't help it. I call I call people jabroni now. But you know that was like The Rock who did it first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think okay. It's like a I think it's like a sports word that that people might have used, and it's one of those words that like I used to use ironically, and then I just kind of became that word and started to use it. You know? Yeah. Well, we should definitely. I thought it was a uh, Italian mafia word. Yeah, maybe it's that too. Oh, okay. We need the entomology uh, of the word. Ah, uh, wise man is schooling us already. <laughs> yes, yeah. And Logan, I hear you uh, chuckling over there. What's going on, man? Not much. It's a beautiful day in New Mexico. That's awesome. It's been rainy and dreary here in New England, which is why we call it New England. Oh, yeah. We had a five-minute storm in the south, and yep. then it got sunny again. Oh. So it's May 1st and I'm wearing a winter jacket still, but Canada up there probably knows what that feels like. Uh, actually, I sat on the deck and read uh, some Scott Odin uh, stories from Savage Sword of Conan with my shirt off on the deck catching some rays. So don't worry about what it's doing in Canada. <laughs> a. It's the it's the most well-kept secret about Canada is it's actually no. tropical. You know, I was freezing. I was freezing. <laughs> But I'm trying to maintain that that Mexico tan I got uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, yeah, very nice. Um, so hey, I want to before we dive into things. It's not often we toot our own horn, but I think we need to toot our own horn for just a minute. So we got nominated for an award. We're really cool. We're <laughs> well. It's it, this is really cool um, for us. Uh, the um, Robert E. Howard Foundation. Uh, we got nominated uh, for their their awards. It's the Black Lotus Outstanding Achievement in Multimedia. Uh, we are we're thrilled. I mean, it's with the Crowdcast and a whole bunch of other fantastic shows, uh, and to be nominated is just quite an honor. It's pr pretty sweet. Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you. Oh, Hear thanks. that outstanding. Hear that, middle school teachers? Outstanding <laughs> achievement right here. Logan Whitney, Milford, Nebraska. Well, you didn't win it yet. Six. You didn't win it yet. Was... <laughs> Shh. Yeah. Yes. Hey, but it's good Blow. just to be nominated. Yes. Yeah. Blow your roll. But if you don't win it, then you didn't have the outstanding achievement. 
You just that's true. You just uh, achieved. Someone, someone thought something I was involved in was outstanding and an achievement. <laughs> I'm good with that. Second place is first loser. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't change the fact that we're still uh, jabronis. So. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. I mean. <laughs> you know. If there were ever three clowns doing a thing, <laughs> we are those three clowns. Yeah. But but in truth, it is. Uh, yeah. It's it's awesome. I mean, I. We were kind of just uh, doing this for poops and giggles, and um, yeah. we're having a good time. So if uh, if if people are enjoying the show, that is certainly a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we hop into our uh, points of interest via the bizarre of the bizarre? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> we have to cut that down. No, no, I think it's the perfect length. Honestly, uh, I think that's right where it should be. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Logan, I know you got one that you needed to talk to, and I think Scott will be pro- uh, probably pretty interested to hear this one too. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna do very much, or not gonna say very much, because I I think I'm gonna write a a brief um, article about my trip and share it. Uh, but uh, over the vernal holiday, which is Easter for you religious types, we uh, my girlfriend and I went down to Carlsbad Caverns. Which I have wanted to go to for a long time, uh, because yeah, it's beautiful, uh, and it is the one place outside of Texas Robert E. Howard visited. And when he was there, he got the inspiration for uh, the Jewels of Gwalior, um, or the Servants of Bityakin, as it appears in the Del Rey edition. Um, so uh, that was that was pretty cool for me, uh, being able to basically walk in some of the steps that my favorite author has walked see the things that he's seen as well as like this massive natural wonder like i don't know if any of you out there have gone to like tourist caves usually you have to take a a guided tour done by a park ranger this one is so massive it's got a trail system inside of it and you can just do it at your own pace now did you uh, have they opened the river that's at the bottom of the, the entrance yet they did not. Okay, yeah, not there is a river at that gigantic entrance where it has yeah. A, yeah, there's a cave that branches off. There's a river called the Styx down there. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. New Mexico has been in a drought for about a decade, and the water that is in there is about six inches lower than it's supposed to be, um, which is interesting because you can, like, the cave formations look different where the water's not. And it's supposed to be there, but it's a cool place. If you get a chance, check it out. I'm gonna write some about it and share it on our page, just so I can cut down on our time here. But yeah, that's my thing. Awesome, well done, Matt. Did you have anything you wanted to, to do? Um, that actually just made me think. Uh, when I was in Mexico, I actually did a I did a little excursion to some ruins in Tulum and Coba, uh, which is like the sites of Mayan uh, um, Mayan ruins which gave me a sort of red nails vibe, I suppose. Um, just cause I wanted to, uh, category with Logan. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, that I, that I really want to bring up quickly is last episode. I think the one before it, I brought up, uh, King Arthur legend of the sword, um, and decided it was, I didn't really like the movie very much, but I did want to chime in with a, there's a, a redeeming aspect of it. And for whatever reason, I was bumping around on YouTube, and you know how you end up in the wormholes where songs are just coming at you, and you like this, and so they recommend that. 
um, the soundtrack uh, by by Daniel Pemberton is actually kind of awesome. Um, Great like, for writing. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's yeah. kind of what I've been I've been using it for. Um, it's it's not like an invasive sort of soundtrack. If something is way too <laughs> boisterous or um, yeah, if it's if there's too much theme there. Um, it kind of throws me off, but I find that one just has like a, a good rhythm and tempo. Um, so yeah, I, I just felt like it, it's fair for me to shout out to uh, check out that soundtrack. And uh, as Scott also uh, would say, it is it's great for writing and and ruminating, I suppose. I actually wrote part of the uh, Conan story in Marvel to that soundtrack. Wow, wow. Brad. What do you know? Very cool. Yeah. What are the odds that I was like uh, listening to that and uh, also reading that uh, today? Apparently, one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm more intrigued with the fact that you remember what you were listening to when you wrote it. Yeah, I make uh, uh, lists of songs to write different things to. That all right? So we're heading into we're going to depart from the uh, point of interest for a second. I want to talk about this. This is interesting. Okay. So, because mm. I'm one who kind of need I need silence. A lot of time when I do pretty much anything because <laughs> I get distracted easily. So clearly you, you write to music now. I write to music, but it can't have words. Sure. Can't yeah. Have words. yeah. I think I could, I think I might be able to pull that off myself. Um, yeah. So, and, and what do you look for? Like, what did you even just, did you just eventually evolve into doing that? Or were you always like, I need this inspiration. Like, do you look for the inspiration? I think is the question that I'm looking for. I do. I look for the inspiration in the music, and I've been doing it probably since the late 1980s. Wow. So, Damn. Uh, I don't do well in silence. I get really easily distracted. Huh. So I, I started listening to, you know, originally CDs with mm. the various soundtracks. Then when the internet came along, I switched to listening to uh, binaural, uh, binaural feedback loops. Uh, oh, yeah. So if you've ever listened to one, there's one different megahertz in one ear and a different megahertz in the other ear. Hmm. And it hmm. creates a wave effect. Oh, and weird. then the other thing I, I'll write to will be soundtracks. And I got lots of soundtracks and lots of world music on, on my, uh, my list. Sure. Do you pick, so. um, do you pick like what you're going to listen to based on, what you think you need to get done for that day, like what you're going to write. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, so you may be more inclined to listen to, um, to a soundtrack if you need a specific type of inspiration versus something that's more just like a, like a droning sound or something like that to sort of, uh, kind of keep you focused. Right. If I'm writing a fight scene, I'll throw in the Conan, the barbarian soundtrack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I'm doing more drama, I'll, go for like the gladiator soundtrack or the uh the king arthur soundtrack was just really good for the short chapters in the marvel story sure so, because it, it's a that particular soundtrack the way i guess they made the movie i've never actually seen the movie don't see <laughs> <laughs> soundtrack will, yeah it will it will ruin it uh like the soundtrack makes the movie seem awesome, and actually, the movie starts out fairly well, uh, for, for at least as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, man, it it jumps the shark at a point. 
it just reminds me of like uh bikers playing king arthur uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i can see that <laughs> i feel like i feel like that may have come up at a hollywood pitch meeting i feel like <laughs> if that hasn't uh here we go <laughs> Script writing time, guys. <laughs> hey, Hollywood, you know, just throw money this way. We'll yep. write yeah. it. For you. Yeah. 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 So, listen, that was actually really interesting because I'm always curious about the habits of, of, um, of writers, really, like anyone yeah. who does something creative, like what they do to get into that mindset. But yeah. we, we sort of uh, jumped the order here a little bit. Why don't <laughs> you, you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your works i mean there's there's quite a few so i mean feel free to kind of dip into whatever you whatever you'd like but uh, i'd love okay. to hear your take on all that well we could start at the very beginning sure uh, i started wanting to write when i was 14 years old so this would have been 1981 and i learned how to write by writing out typing out robert e howard stories oh. and as i would feel the news strike me, I would deviate from the story. So, you know, I'd just sit down with my ace copy, I'd prop it open, and I'd just start typing. Neat. And that's how I learned pacing and, and dialogue. So, so my dialogue sounds like somebody from the 1930s. Yeah. Um, right I mean, there with I, you. I just got to jump in for a second, because that's something that really, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to gush when we have a guest, but like, when I'm reading your take on conan it really probably is the closest well, facsimile to to robert e howard's conan um it, just down to even the the word choice the vocabulary um the structure of of how you started that story where we're not starting with conan um i don't know Start with it, the someone the the other figures i don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't read it yeah but it's good well, it's like yeah, it's it a really one of my favorites. Well, see that I'm actually actively trying to mimic his style. Yeah, and I mean so, I think, and I think that's a that's a good approach because, like others have have, others have kind of done that and failed, but then yeah. you've also got others who have done, uh, just in a way, disrespectfully tried something different. It's it's Robert not that. Gordon. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's there's a few names we could sling there, and and I wouldn't be opposed, I wouldn't be opposed to like an author coming in with their own distinct style and doing a Hyborian Age story. Sure. I'm open to I'm open to that for sure. But if you're going to try to ape Robert E. Howard, you may as well just go for it. And I mean, I don't I don't want to put any insult on you uh, with saying that it's just, you've done a damn good job of it. Yeah. See, I don't take sure. that as any sort of an insult when people compare me to. Robert E. Howard or Conan, say something right. sounds like a Conan story. I take that as a, one of the highest compliments. Sure. Well, because, yeah, yeah, it's no easy task. Like, no, not at all. Many have tried to emulate Robert E. Howard and have varying degrees of success, but I and just, you know where they failed? Uh, please tell me. They treat him like a fantasy character, right? Not like a historical fiction character. Mm, yeah. I was gonna go with they put satyrs in it. Well, there is that too. <laughs> Yeah, but no, no. Howard conceived Conan as an alternate historical fiction character when he mm -hmm. couldn't sell the historical fiction to Adventure Magazine. Right. Yeah. So that's right. I yeah, was going to actually element. mention that. I think um, yeah. the blurb we have on your uh, website mm -hmm. says that you two historical fiction 
and two fantasy uh, yes. novels. Now, do you feel that that's accurate or do you feel that it's, they all sort None of blur works. the line a little bit? No, two are straight up historical adventure stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first one is Men of Bronze. It started out as a Tor Conan novel in late 80s, early 90s. Nobody asked me to write the Tor Conan novel. I just decided I'm going to write one. Sure. Mm. And I wrote the first three chapters somewhere around, oh, probably about 100 times. And I actually got kicked out of a writer's group because I kept writing the same three chapters over and over. (laughs) And finally, a friend of mine who had just made a big splash with his novel, uh, he used to come into where I worked at Blockbuster Video. And he took me aside. He said, you know, this it's, it's not bad, but what are you going to do if they reject it? And I had no good answer for him because mm-hmm. sure. I couldn't sell it anywhere else. And so he told me to, you know, take these three chapters and go write your own character. Mm. So instead of writing my own character, I just filed the serial numbers off of Conan and made him a Phoenician warrior. Rad. And there you have yeah, Men of awesome. Bronze. Yeah. That's interesting that you said file the serial numbers off. I saw uh, that come up on Facebook. I, I, that may be the second time today. I've seen that today. <laughs> well, you know, they did that with a movie called Willow. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, you, you sure you don't want my job? That's a nice segue into my points of interest, <laughs> which Brilliant is the segue. <laughs> that was segue. a very nice segue. Uh, the uh, the new there was announcement um, in the general media. Uh, that uh, I guess Disney is thinking about upping a uh, a Willow um, uh, continuation, a TV show continuation, I guess with Warwick Davis perhaps playing an older Willow. Um, that seems to be the rumor anyway. Uh, mm. And then to which our guest, uh, more or less, uh, forgive me if I, if I don't quote you directly, uh, said that uh, Willow is just um, Lord of the Rings with the serial numbers filed off. I think that might and have been... Not very- well. And not very well. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well. well I mean, look, well, you got a, I, you got a bunch of hobbits. Yes. You got a wizard that brings them something that they need to protect and or destroy. Yes. And there you go. You yes. got either Willow or Lord of the Rings. Yep. So I don't disagree. I, but, I, but, but I don't. Willow also put Han Solo. You put Han Solo in the movie, right? You got your your. <laughs> that's yes. the other thing. Yes. So you had the Hollywood pitch me. Like, All right. It's like right. Lord of the Rings, but. We also got Han Solo, which makes it uh, a little more edgy. Right? That's, that's your your Aragorn is uh, is basically Han Solo. Yes. Yeah, but Aragorn. And it's like he's, a, too, he's too serious. It's like a dollar store Aragorn. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so much fun. Yeah, I love I love Mad Mardigan. The only thing I remember from that movie is that one of the characters is a brownie, and at the time I saw it, I was like, I don't see any brownies, and yes, I shut it off. Yeah. <laughs> no, two of them are, and uh, if I remember right, one of them was uh, Tom Cruise's buddy in uh, the lawyer movie. You know, you oh. can't handle the truth. Yeah, one of, I can't oh, remember uh, his name. one of them is Pollock. What's his name? Something Pollock. Yes, yeah, something name. Pollock. I, I yeah. think what yeah. Logan was referring to was the delicious dessert. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he didn't see any <laughs> yeah. of that. And I then mean, I was, was nine when I saw it the first time. So. <laughs> Okay, get off my yard, Hooper Snapper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that to some seventh graders today. <laughs> I mean, it's all I relative. Would... It's all yeah. relative. <laughs> but you know what? It's funny because 
I, I like to think that this show, I mean, we the the Chromecast exists and they take a, a scholarly approach to Robert E. Howard and they have got that thing on lockdown. Not here. Um, but yeah. yeah here, if they're we the are... teachers, we're the dudes in the back with the spit wads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're the we're the digging through the bargain bin and getting excited yeah. that we pulled out a death stalker. We, we are your dollar store Chromecast. <laughs> Get out now! I'm gonna put that want. on a T-shirt. Hey, I've listened to more episodes of y'all than I have of the Chromecast. So. Oh, jeez! No shade. Let's fight words. No. Good thing. Uh, good thing. I'm. I'm, I'm uh, internet buddies with uh, with Josh from the Chromecast. So we'll have, we'll have a lot. <laughs> they're great guys and you should definitely check them out because they uh they do oh, fantastic work yeah they do an excellent job i i love that show so but my segue aside right so we'll we'll leave the whole willow thing and we'll we'll dig that in a little bit more um so we're doing a willow episode alex it, pencil that down of course oh we are. There's, yeah. there's not a whole lot more to dig out <laughs> oh, wow scott you're coming back and, and that's a show everyone seals. that's a show everyone thank you <laughs> yeah so um so let's do, let's keep going i mean um I think we've basically talked about only only one take on your on your story here. We talked about when you were fourteen and then we started to to move a little bit more, but uh, please continue. Well, I wrote something like thirty odd short stories that I could never sell. Uh, they're all imitations of H. P. Lovecraft, Howard, uh, Baffert and the Gray Mauser. Uh, I just I could not get the, the format right. I couldn't. And my problem was world building. I could not build a decent world, I thought. So when I was sitting down with the, the chapters, can't use the Hyborian age, so I might as well use history. Yeah. So I I sucked at history when I was in school. That's funny. I was the worst history student ever. Interesting. Uh but I had a real interest in ancient Egypt. And for one of my projects in the third grade, I made a replica of Tut's tomb, all this fun Ooh. stuff. Mm. So when I was looking around for where to set a story, I wanted something that would mimic in its, in its uh, essence a fantasy world where all the different species, races, etc. were intermingling. So there's only a few areas of history where that happens. And one of them was the 26th dynasty of ancient Egypt. Now, if you're not familiar with that one, that's the one that Herodotus talks about in the histories. Yeah. So, it's the uh, the Egyptians would hire Greek mercenaries to fight the Persians. So, you've got all your, your relevant people right there. And I just I sat down and said, okay, I don't want to make him Egyptian, so let's make him Phoenician. And he became a Phoenician barbarian, quote unquote. That's awesome. As a history teacher, one, mm -hmm. I don't blame you for not being interested in history. And two, that sounds awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, uh, I, I had some decent teachers, but we would always, all we would do is memorize dates. Oh, yeah. And have right. a test. Right. Yeah. That you does know, seem no to be the problem with the whole history genre is just the, the, yeah. the simple memorization and not really a yeah. discussion or discourse. Now, well, I've listened to a few, uh, I guess, podcasts with historians. If those guys would have taught me history in school, yeah, I would have 
become a historian, something like that. Sure. Sure. Mm. Now, we talked about earlier, Robert E. Howard ditched history to write Conan because it was hard to research. It was like... No, no, it was not hard for him to research. He didn't ditch it for that. He ditched it because he could not sell it. Okay, I guess I read, yeah. I think it was in one of the Del Rey editions, yeah. um, that uh, it was time-consuming. I guess hard isn't extremely, the word. Extremely, yeah, extremely yeah. time-consuming. So was it time-consuming for you? Yes, because this was before the internet was generally available to everyone. Sure. So I got real cozy with my public library and borrowed their severely out-of-date Cambridge Ancient History. Oh, yeah. And I photocopied pages of it. I marked it up. I kept this giant notebook where I just taped the pages that I would photocopy into it. And the way I would, I guess, learn how to do this is I started by building a timeline. I built a timeline that would have actual historical events than the stuff that I wanted to insert into history. And it's exactly like building a fantasy world. Yeah. Interesting. I like that. I yeah. I have dabbled in historical writing, but I find that it's time consuming. Even with the internet, there's so much information on the internet, you don't even know where to turn to. So... Um, well, that's an interesting strategy that you have set up there with the timeline. Yeah. I said, well, for me now with the internet, it is entirely way easier than what it used to be. Yeah. And... But do you find though, like for me, like I, I minored in history in university. Um, and like, I always really liked history, but I wasn't the good history student because it is, it's a massive undertaking to truly understand holistically what's happening. Yeah. Like I remember, uh, you know, I took an ancient history course. I loved it. I eventually did well on it. I wrote a massive essay on the Byzantine Empire, of which I remember nothing, like because I <laughs> I actually can't retain it unless you unless I keep going. And I, I understand history in the broad strokes, but it all just it all just you know yeah. seeps no. out of my brain when I'm away from it. But what I was gonna say, Scott, is like. The idea of you with your photocopied papers um, all marked up, for me, there's something more intimate about that process. And when I used to do that, I, I had a better grasp. And now with the internet where it's like, you know, whatever library I want at my fingertips, I yeah. feel like I know less. No, because I still do the same basic thing, but electronically. Mm. I'll copy and paste stuff from articles making sure I have the, the attribution for it. Yeah. Or I'll... yeah, you're just properly yeah. disciplined. <laughs> yeah, that's not me. I get distracted by bells and whistles on things. Yeah. Ooh, there's a so video. Well. Oh, no, I get distracted. My agent had to have a talk with my wife about distraction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I've seen, uh, I've seen posts of yours where uh, <laughs> you know, <you're> basically, <laughs> but you're also appealing to others for like very you know, the minutia of research and like yeah. whether this would be available at this time. And I mean, you know, that's, that's commendable. I don't ever see myself doing that, but I also don't ever see myself being a truly traditionally published author. <laughs> but see, social media is great because in, I have 900 and something friends on Facebook mm. and I know a good 25% of them have PhDs in something. Yeah, sure. So if I put a question out there, I'm going to either get somebody who's going to direct me where I need to go or somebody who knows the answer already and can, you know, give me the broad strokes of it. And then I can go look up what I need to, to find. Yeah. 
right. social media is so powerful and it's it's so much of what you make of it right yeah it's also such a distraction yes. yeah <laughs> yeah yes, double-edged is. sword yep. i cannot remember dates because i i have that illness where you can't remember numbers really yeah i can't i if i don't have a number written down like my phone number i cannot remember it <laughs> uh suck at math yeah me too math. i feel you there let me high five here. The creative, like, <laughs> yeah. I do, man. I'm like in my adult life. I mean, even I'm embarrassed by it. Like, yeah, it I sucks. still count on my fingers because yeah. I I cannot add basic numbers because yeah. I don't see them. Right. Huh. And that's yeah. it. And I just I just latch on. I've always done that. Latched on to the things I'm good at. Yeah. You know. And well, that's I think most people like, do that. Yeah. yeah. You know, what you're good at, you you latch onto. So when you get your your check, uh, do they do they tell you that it was one thing, and then you're just like, oh, I believe it. <laughs> no, I mean I, I can I can <laughs> I, I can you know as long as I have a calculator, I can figure out what I'm supposed to have. Yeah, there you go. As long as long as you can count the beans in one right. way or another. <laughs> but I can't remember it from like if you give me two numbers to add up. Sure. I can't add them up. Right. Uh, but I can remember. Minute details of the Roman Republic. That's just yeah. how your brain's wired. I mean, and, that's, yeah. and it's working for you. Yeah, for for your <laughs> for your employment, that's uh, that's what matters, man. It's absolutely working. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a question to you, just uh, sure. just to kind of uh, move the the conversation a little bit. The the sword and sorcery genre. We've talked a little bit on this podcast about like where we think it is, the health of it. Um, I'm kind of curious to, to, to hear what you what your take is. Is it alive and well? Uh, has it changed? Is it is it something other than what it was? Yes, uh, it is alive and well. It's morphed into something else. Uh, all of the original sword and sorcery that we have, when it was written, it was written to be historical adventure with a twist. Mm. Yeah, it's written now as fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is an entirely different uh, mindset. You know, Conan is believable because Conan is meant to be an element of history, mm-hmm. and that to me is where a lot of writers go wrong with it. I agree. I think Agreed. I think yeah. you've really put your finger on what we've talked about a lot. And I don't think yeah. we've ever quite said it that way, the three of us, is yeah. that we, we, we use words like we want it to be more grounded. We want our fantasy to yeah. feel grounded, but it really is historical. Right. I, and, I, and I think that that's the right way to put that. That's amazing. And nowhere in history does one person ever save the world. Yeah. And that right. is a common trope in fantasy. Oh, I, I yeah. hate it. I, I, do, <laughs> I do too, man. Yeah. Like. Uh, saving the world like what are we 12 yeah but it, it's so common it's part of the escapism of fantasy is that yeah. that desire to save the world we want to be the hero we want to be you know lauded for our, our accomplishments whereas conan just wanted to save his ass and have some money right right yeah and i mean i relate I, I turn up my nose, but I mean, like, I still go and watch superhero movies all day long. But that's oh, sure. so much. That's so much steeped in in nostalgia, right? But when yeah. it comes to stories I want to write or that I want to read now, like actually spend my time reading prose, I want it to be about characters. And those characters that I want to read about aren't really the ones that 
are are altruistic you know i i want yeah. the the warts and the darkness and all that jazz yeah. right see i don't read a lot of modern fantasy mm. i know that's gonna be shocking to people i i follow a few writers whose work i like i like john hawking's uh yeah i've yeah. read emerald lotus but he has a lot of yep. short stories on black gate that are just awesome awesome short uh vestments of pestilence Go look that one up. It is okay. awesome. Story. I've heard of that. I think yeah. I have it stayed somewhere. Uh, most of what I read nowadays is authors like Daniel Silva, who writes uh, uh, spy thrillers with sort of an artistic Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, love stuff like that. It's like if I'm working, I can't read what the genre that I'm writing. That's fair. That's yeah. interesting, actually, because... Yeah. I mean, I, I've taken the opposite uh, approach where I want to know what's happening in the genre just so I don't um, – I, I, I have a real anxiety of like coming up with – if I come up with an awesome idea or an approach and then I realize someone has already done it and they're quite popular and then it just looks like I'm ripping that person off. Like I almost want to yeah. have an idea of what's happening around. Go but, ahead and, and teach yourself this. There yeah. are no original ideas. Not going to do an original idea. Sure. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah. it doesn't matter if Patrick Rothfuss does the exact same idea that you have your mind on. It's going to be different because you're doing it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree. I mean, yeah. it's just, uh, I think that's that what Marshall McLuhan called the anxiety of influence, perhaps. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to be seen as, as aping somebody, but it's not going, you're not going to be aping them. You're going to be writing your own original thing. Well, that's it. And like, we're all kind of just walking around and picking up traces of things we see here or there. And that's what ends up yeah. forming our own authorial identity, I guess. See, most now, most sword and sorcery now is grimdark. Right. That is the, the closest to the traditional sword and sorcery. See, Logan, Logan, clear. I, I, I quite like what I, I don't necessarily like darkness for darkness sake, but I find that there's a lot of good literary uh, fantasy happening within what you would call grimdark. So yeah. I, I've been reading, I've been reading a lot of it. And I, as much as I love reading Robert E. Howard, uh, it, you know, that, that sweeps me away to a, to a different world and a different time. And like, I truly feel immersed in it, but I could never, I could never write like that. And so for me, having more of a modern voicing in the writing, it's like, I, I find it really, that's what I find kind of liberating about these modern authors who are taking that approach. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to also offer up um, the tangential genre, I guess. You know, when you talk about historical fiction, um, I've, I often bring up Bernard Cornwell. Oh my God. I so, love Bernard Cornwell. I, and yeah. I feel like he walks a line sometimes on that whole sword and sorcery. I'm thinking specifically of the, the grail quest, uh, the grail quest trilogy. And there's not necessarily outright sorcery or anything like that. And, and sort of, I guess the sorcery that I would think of is religion in this case. Yeah. Um, but I mean, man, without having sorcery in it, it is pretty much as sword and sorcery as you can get. I feel like. See, and a lot of grim dark writers, they'll tout how, grim and how dark their works are yeah but historical fiction is far grimmer and far darker yeah <laughs> mm. uh 
I always use the, the uh, example, if you think you've written something extremely grim and dark, go read Tim Willock's The Religion and see how close it comes. <laughs> or go read David Ball's Iron Fire, which is it's the exact same story. They're both telling the story of the Siege of Malta. Uh, Willox tells it from a Robert E. Howard point of view. Right. David Ball tells it from a historian's point of view. Mm -hmm. huh. Interesting. Well, and I think one of the things, too, uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine about um, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice I'm and sorry. Fire. I'm the sorry, you day. just said a boot. <laughs> yeah. He does say that sometimes. You'll hear that from Matt. You'll hear Git a lot from Logan, and I speak perfectly. Yeah. I just... I just <laughs> My wife spent some time in Canada, and she always told me that there's, you know, a boot and stuff like that. I just didn't believe her. Crazy. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't even realize I was there. You do. Yes. And no, uh, what was I saying? Oh, uh, yeah, the <laughs> idea that like Game of Thrones is in some ways like an anti-Tolkien, right? Where you've you've taken these fantasy elements, but you've you've darkened it up and made it more uh, historically inclined, where it's you know somewhat based on the War of the Roses. Um, and to me, that's that's sort of that's the the bridge that's been crossed with it. You've got you've gotten rid of the uh, the innocence and the you know the the G rating, and have just yeah. darkened it up and See, muddied to, it up. To me, like, like history Rings. would be right. Yeah, to me, Lord of the Rings is extremely dark. It he is just ex does not dwell on it. Right. Yeah, it's glossed over. Like you can imagine, awful yeah. things are happening behind the scenes. Yeah, and I mean that's the difference with Grimdark is it shines a light on those. Right. Well, the yeah. one I always always use them as an, as an example, uh, if you delve into the, the underlying mythos of uh, Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. uh, what happened to Elrond's wife? You know, in the story, she's traveling from Lorien back to to Rivendell. Mm. She's waylaid by orcs. She's given quote unquote a wound that will not heal. And if you read between the lines, she was attacked and molested by orcs. Because hmm. he never says that they can't do that. Interesting. Right. A wound that, yeah, I mean, a wound that, that cannot, cannot heal. heal. Yeah, yeah. So she, she goes overseas. Wow. And, you know, if, if it were written by somebody that's not trying to do, uh, you know, the northern thing, hmm. it would they probably would have really spent a lot of time on that sure see my first introduction to sword and sorcery was the jewels of gwalor and hmm. it starts out with him like climbing a cliff and to me like it's indiana jones with a little more blood and some horror and so <laughs> that's what i look for my favorite conan stories are all vaguely indiana jones-esque like yeah. uh the tower of the elephant the uh gosh iron shadows in the moonlight um those those ones that are more adventure than horror and so like i've tried to read some what i people would call grimdark um and it just it doesn't appeal to my sensibilities like i get why people like it i'm not saying it's bad by any means um it's just not what i look for in that particular so realm. any titles in specific that you've read um in all honesty, I, I was actually telling my this this friend that I have. She edits my short stories, um, but I've been telling her that Howard Andrew Jones, oh yeah, I think is probably 
the closest modern like his De Beer and Awesome novels are probably the closest I've come to like exactly what I look for in a fantasy. Yeah. Um, but I'm more like you and I read um, authors that are not fantasy. I do James Rollins. I begrudgingly read Clive Cussler. I like the conspiracy theories on pseudoscience and the spy thrillers mm. um, because it's like Indiana Jones. I like um, early James Rollins. I don't like the later stories. Yeah, um, I'm gosh, I think my next one is the sixth extinction and like it's getting more and more not exactly what I'm looking for. But like yeah. Amazonia was like peak what I was looking for. And that was like yeah. his third or fourth novel. Subterranean was good too. Oh yeah. Subterranean was great. Good. Yeah. Me and Aunt Howard Andrew Jones, we share an editor at St. Martin's. Oh, okay. cool. Together. We, we actually made him where he's never going to publish another desert novel again. <laughs> Terribly. Yeah. Both of our books. Howard's did better than mine. Lion of Cairo. Yeah. Uh, Lion of Cairo, it went down like the Hindenburg. Oh. Well, part of it was marketing's fault. Part of it was my fault. The uh, they didn't know what to make of it because the the magic was not as overt as it would have been in a straight fantasy. Sure. Mm. It was more of what you would expect magic to look like in a historical setting. Sure. Yeah, strange. I mean, as a reader, I. That wouldn't bother me at all. That I wouldn't mean, that, put no. me off. Uh, but no. maybe in if, fact, it, but that's where the marketing kind of steps up. Yeah, right? they marketed it to the historical fiction crowd. Yeah, who would look at it and go, "This is not even remotely accurate," and it wasn't. Right. <laughs> I, I made up a great. It is. It's based off of Robert E. Howard's Gates of Empire. The okay. the editor asked me if I could write a story, a novel, a trilogy that. Imagine the assassins as written by Howard. Oh, cool. See, and, in this past half an hour, you've sold me on all your novels. So I'm probably <laughs> going to pick them up next time I have a paycheck. <laughs> also, pick up one called Mimnon. That's my favorite. What's it called? Mimnon. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, definitely. The Life I of Mimnon and Rose. Yeah. Yeah. The only, the only person Alexander the Great was afraid of. Interesting. Again, another piece of history I did not know. Yeah, there was one general amongst the Persians, and Memnon was a Greek who married into the Persian royal family. Huh. I'm, now I'm going to have to take a look at this, too. Didn't know he that. He was also it's, the bad yeah. guy in Burpian King with the Rock, but I think that's yeah, a but, different Memnon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a way different Memnon. Uh, you're tre that's you're that's treading that's into Willow house. territory with that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now uh, you're speaking our I got all kinds of shit for that. <laughs> I even got... One guy accused me of, of whitewashing history because my Memnon was not Memnon of Ethiopia from the Trojan War. Oh, wow. Different. I'm like, no, he's Memnon of Rhodes from the 5th century. So how do you – that, that huh. brings up another question. So how do you handle the, uh, the critique and the critics? And sometimes, you know, you, you pour everything you have into it and then – Maybe there's a little bit of disappointment as as well as I hope there's plenty of success. Oh, there's plenty of success. There is a great heaping help handful of disappointment. You expect everything that you write will be loved. You right. hope it will be. Right. You want it to be something that people will embrace, remember forever, and make it the next Harry Potter. You know, <laughs> any writer that tells you that's not what they want is lying to you and sure. lying to themselves. Right. <laughs> uh, 
that is precisely what we do. Every time we send something out into the world, we want it to set the world on fire. Well, it let's, won't. <laughs> let's talk about what is going to set the world on fire. And I think we can talk a little bit more about your project right now, Twilight of the Gods, and the previous book, Gathering of Ravens. Well, also, I just finished a 9,000-word Conan short story. That's we got to get that. to that, too. Yeah, yeah actually, that was is that for uh, Conan, Conan Unconquered? Unconquered? Yeah, I didn't yeah. even – I just read that today. Remain Unconquered! <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I, I actually got permission. That. I got permission from uh, the fellow that owns the copyrights and trademark, trademarks now. Frederick. Uh, Frederick Malmberg. I yeah. hear he's really young. <laughs> and he's probably in his uh, mid 40s. Ar Arnold thinks so. That's the yeah, joke. Arnold Arnold. Oh, I saw you. Yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Arnold's just. I don't want to see an, another Arnold movie. Arnold was not Conan. Jason Momoa was Conan. Oh, there's another. I'll agree with you. Shots fired. Shots fired. We're, no, we're, we're going to bring you back agree. for the 2011 Conan uh, episode <laughs> for sure. No, I don't even see, fully. That so great if they had a decent script. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, agree. I totally agree. And that and movie, like and that movie wasn't even all that bad. I know. I like. I like the eighty-one Conan. For what it was, it was a great sword and sorcery movie. It wasn't remotely Robert E. Howard's Conan. Mm -hmm. Not his Conan, but there was Robert E. Howard in that movie. Yeah, yeah we actually have two episodes on this. Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we spent some time on that one. Yeah. Not, there wasn't not a great there, deal of Robert E. Howard in it, but there was no. Some. But there was there was. I guess what our argument was is that there's 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 clear it's clear that that the people who wrote it read a lot of Howard and put particular pieces of evidence in there to show that they did. Whether yeah, overall, but they didn't understand what they read. Yeah, I mean, I could I could probably agree with that. Yeah, I mean, or, I, they, I like or they or they just their own thing. I think right. is more what it is, right? And like, I yeah, think but with, I want to do a Genghis Khan movie, so I'm going to do all this stuff. I think with with if we're going to have a successful Conan movie, the director has to put himself in the background. John Milius is not a background director. No, no. he's not. No, and, totally not. You know, I I did read the original screenplay. That, it's Oliver Stone. Yeah, that yeah. was just a gigantic pile of shit. Yeah, that was insane. <laughs> <laughs> With the mutants and the post-apocalypse. Yeah, we do talk yeah. a little bit about yeah. that, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The 60s were not kind to that, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oliver Stone, yeah, he was in... Yeah. yeah. So we, we sidetracked, though. So you got permission. Oh, I, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, we just yeah, want to know. I, I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. <laughs> uh, to use in this story the Yerelet fragment. The, okay. It became the hand of Nurgle uh, in the yeah. but in the Del Rey you have the the fragment of the story. Interesting. So I had to write a story that fits inside of Black Colossus. The story, mm -hmm. because that's the game is built around Black Colossus. Right. So all these anyway. hordes of things that are attacking you are actually from from Thugra Kotan. Right. So he'll he makes an appearance, I think, in some of it. But either way, you know, he he's it's it's a good solid area if you're going to do that sort of thing to, to put one. Mm. So I had to write a story inside of that, and it needed to have some elements of the game. 
So the game is a survival uh, strategy game. Yeah. So, but I, the problem I hit is, with the exception of the story of the Black Stranger, Howard never wrote about sieges for mm -hmm. Conan. You know, he wrote uh, the Siege of Vienna or the Red Sonja. Mm. Is it Red Sonja? No. Yeah, the Vultures of, or what is it? Uh, something. Yeah, something of the Vultures. Yeah. Uh, Shadow of the Vulture. Sh yep, yeah, that's it. there we are. Uh, but as far as I could tell, from everything I read, those were the only two sieges he wrote, and the one in Black Stranger wasn't much of a siege. No. So I needed to write a siege with Conan. And I can't really tell much more than that. But That's why you were asking about sieges. Oh, well, that and I'm also writing one for Twilight of the Gods. Okay, so you're, you're all sieged up here. <laughs> but they're not very big sieges. They're, you know, it's, it's not a like a siege of Constantinople type thing. Mm. So I don't have multiple uh, siege engines flinging stuff. Plus I have sorcery, so... Yeah, that helps. It, it's, yeah, it's a little bit weird. But, cool. But yeah, I, I'm very pleased with it. Turned it over. I had an hour to spare on my deadline. Nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so where is uh, where will that appear? Like, what format do you know? Can you say? Uh, yeah, it's uh, appears in the deluxe version of the game as a download. Okay. And after a period of time, it'll be released on its own. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to see. I mean, you've, once these uh, Savage Sword of Conan uh, stories, like, are, those are going to ultimately be compiled, I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. They they told us that. I don't know if they'll do each one individually or a book with all three of them. Uh, yeah, it'd be kind of cool if you know you got all yours, your Conan pastiche in one book. I would think. Yeah, I I would, I would like that just so I could have one one book with my stuff in it. So. Yeah, I mean that must be like. So actually, that was one of a one of the questions uh, that I kind of wanted to ask. Um, you well, I mean, I I got the opportunity too. I worked on the Conan source book for Modiphius slash Monolith, where I, I essentially got the opportunity to jump in and uh, play in the Robert E. Howard sandbox yeah. uh, to mm -hmm. kind of craft the the story around it but i i chose a particular time period and mine was with conan and uh Baylet, uh on the black coast before essentially they sailed up that fateful river um but what is your like did you have a lot of anxiety going in like with with having a particular time and place and all this other history surrounding it like i, I don't know how, how did you pre prepare other than just reading uh Pretty much just reading. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm partial to the Eastern stories yeah. more than, you know, I like Beyond Thunder River, but I'm not as taken with that area, I guess. Yeah. You know, I like uh, Turan. I like, you know, the desert stories. Uh, so it, it, I pretty much just started out with, uh, they told me what they wanted, what had to be in it. Mm. and just look for something that I could fit those in. Is there anything like that you, any pitfalls that you knew you must avoid? I mean, I, I guess it's, I feel like it's probably easier for you in that you have 
you spent so much time emulating Howard's uh, writing style when you were learning to write. Um, uh, the biggest pitfall is I have to make sure that I, I keep a file that mm -hmm. has just the dialogue, just actually Conan, every word of Conan's dialogue that yeah, I could get from the, yeah, I got it from Project Gutenberg, cut and pasted it into a file. Oh, so handy. Yeah, so if I have to search, I will search for a certain word that he has used before. Yeah. And it helps me get back in touch with the, the voice. Yeah, that was actually kind of a, I don't know where I read that you had said that. I don't know if I was talking to you or it was something you posted, but that's like, it seems so obvious, but it's it's actually pretty brilliant to just, because there's not that much Conan dialogue you know, no, it's, it's kind of repetitive. I'll drop if it's repeats something else that I already have. I'll drop it off. But yeah, but I mean that really uh, does sort of inform. Who yeah, he has he a is. he has a, a cadence of talking. There's yeah. a certain way that he talks. <laughs> he also <laughs> has slang that he uses. Yeah, and a lot of the slang is the slang from the 30s. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and he sounds. Uh, if you've ever have you read a, a story called Delinda Est? Oh, uh... the one where uh, Hannibal comes as a ghost to Gezerik. Yeah, like I think I, I the title is so familiar to me. Yeah, they're in a ship. Uh, somebody's betrayed him. They decide instead of going to help Rome, they're going to go sack it. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm sure, okay. Sure, I have. Now compare. At the very beginning of the story, a bunch of vandals are sitting around talking. Every single one of those vandals sounds exactly like Conan. Mm. Now compare those vandals' dialogue to the dialogue of the orcs in uh, Lord of the Rings, book three, when Shagrat and Gorbag are sitting there talking. Make sure you, not the movie version, definitely the book version. Mm. They sound exactly the same. So probably even before Tolkien wrote it, Howard had the voices of the orcs down. Hmm. So You just blew Logan's mind. Now, <laughs> I find this interesting that you bring up orcs because uh, your current project or series of projects. Um, trilogy. Yeah. Trilogy, yeah. Uh, has... Uh, the main character is is an orc, right? Yes. In in like Norse world, and I gotta no, ask, it's an orc in our world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, it's historical, <laughs> but it's an orc. Now yeah. I gotta ask, why orcs? Strangely enough, my editor asked me the same thing. Uh, ever since I was a child, I've had just a real love of orcs. Started out reading The Hobbit when I was young. And I wanted a goblin to sick on all of my enemies. <laughs> One of the very first stories I ever conceived to write was about a kid that finds a wounded goblin and nurses him back to health, and it becomes his enforcer. So, <laughs> That's pretty rad. Yeah, I never really did much with that. I kept trying to write it correctly, but I, I can't do modern world very well. Well, but I mean, even if you didn't do Modern World, you could do that in a in a, a historical or fantasy setting. Yeah, 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 I did, I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Lion of Cairo bombed, 
uh, that was supposed to be a trilogy. I was supposed to have two other books. And in the contract, they did not specify the titles of books for just this, this reason. So mm -hmm. they specify the one I'm working on, and then they'll have book two, book three, book four. And uh, if one bombs, those other books become whatever you need them to be, but you're still under contract. Sure, sure. So, you know, this was a, a, a pretty decent contract for the time. So I had a four-book deal. First one was supposed to be, you know, the door opener. But it became the doggy door, basically. <laughs> so they asked me what else I had. Now, when I... My editor, his wife, is actually from the town right next door to mine. So I was in at a, a book signing for my first book. He comes up. He introduces himself to me. We have a chat. We swap cards. And he tells me if I ever have anything for him to look at, let him know. I thought he was just blowing smoke up my ass. But turns out, no, he actually was the associate publisher at Thomas Dunn Books. Uh, which meant that he could buy whatever he wanted, and he did not have to ask anybody for permission. So a couple years later, I'm burned out on historical. So I write a, you know, five, six-page synopsis of a, of a story about... It's pure fantasy. It's uh, pretty much what if orcs were treated like Mameluk soldiers from uh, ancient Egypt, or medieval Egypt and sent that to him. He's like, well, this is great, but what I'd really like to see is something from Robert E. Howard with assassins. Hmm. I'm like, okay, well, I can do that. So sat down, wrote out another, you know, 12-page synopsis of a story, sent it to him. He's like, you know, this is great, but I need more detail. So I ended up sending him a 30,000-word, 50-page synopsis of a novel. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah it, it was a rough draft of a novel. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I want this. I want this in the next three. Hmm. I'm like, uh, okay. Now, at the time, I didn't have an agent. So I asked him, hey, do you know any agents? Before I start signing papers that you send me, I need somebody to look over this. And so he gave me the name of a guy. And the name sounded familiar, and I didn't know why. Hmm. But uh, so I, I talked to the guy, and I suddenly realized where I know him from. Remember a little bit earlier, the guy I was talking about that convinced me to write a historical novel? Mm -hmm. The guy that they sent me to was his editor. He had become an agent. Uh... Hmm. <laughs> and so we ended up, we had a four-book deal. I sat down, I wrote. Lion of Cairo. And during the time I was writing it, my parents got sick. And I was their, their caregiver. And, you know, I finished it up in 2009, and I just had to stop writing for a while because my dad had dementia, my mom had Parkinson's, and they had it at the same time. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, that was fun. That was, that was one of those life-changing moments. Yep. Mm. I bet. Yeah. Well, they passed away within six months of each other. Oh. And I was a mess for oh, probably two or three years after that. I don't remember most of 20 through 2013. 
But I remember I would pull up a file and I would tinker with a story. And it was the, the original orc story that I'd sent it. I could never make the original work. And a friend of mine, we were emailing one day, he owns a comic shop. He dared me to write an orc story set in history. He, d he dared me that I couldn't do it. And I'm like, okay, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> and the only culture that I knew of that could accommodate an orc was Norse. Sure. So I got to looking. I took everything Tolkien had done about orcs, reverse engineered it into Norse myth, and it fit like it was made to go there. Every single thing that he mentions about them will fit into Norse myth easily. How's that to answer your question, Logan? Uh, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, the diligence that you put in and I mean, I'm really enjoying uh, just hearing your process, like not just the, the writing process, but the journey you've taken to get mm -hmm. where you are. I think it's, it's just fascinating. It's really, really, really great. Yeah. Um, as someone I like, I hesitate to call myself a fantasy fan, actually, after starting this podcast, um, thinking about what it is I like about what I like. Um, elves and orcs and dwarves and, and hobbits are, are a huge turnoff for me in general. And like, I read your story in Skelos and I enjoyed it. Um, and second issue of Skelos for those of you listening. Um, I enjoyed it a lot, uh, but it is not something I necessarily would have picked up, um, otherwise just because I don't think I'm really a fantasy fan. Like, uh, do you read, uh, like on Kindle, or do you read physical copies? I read physical books. Um, I have okay. a hard time with Kindle because uh, I get distracted easily, and it's on a phone or something, and I just can't do it. Uh, PM me one time your address, and I'll send you a copy of Gathering of Ravens. Oh, goodness. And yeah. see if you become a fantasy fan, or sure. at least an orc fan after that. Sure, yeah. I, I accept. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thank because you. I make I make them Robert E. Howard orts. Which I think Alex um, has a question on that particular topic. Which topic? Because you lost me on um, what, what I have the question on. <laughs> the uh, you we, so we were talking before you signed on. Scott. Oh, oh, I get where you're going. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so my question is, I think you partially answered it. Was um, whether or not like so I I I almost didn't believe that they would be true uh, green skinned orcs as you would find in Tolkien, but you seemingly have convinced me otherwise. I thought that they Tolkien's would be... Tolkien's orcs are not green-skinned. Well, right, the, gre the gray skin, and I understand that, but I, I was yeah. thinking more where, where I was going with this was uh, the historical and mythological takes on orcs was where yeah. you were going with that. Well, okay, here's the, the, the comparison. Tolkien himself could never figure out where orcs came from. Right. He waffled back and forth all his life. Uh, in the earliest version of his notes, he had them from elves that had been captured by Melkor and tortured. Yes. Yeah. So that's what they went with when they put together the Silmarillion. So that is the canonical, quote-unquote, origin of the orcs. Okay, so elves in Norse myth could mm. either be Alfar or Dvergar. So they could be 
dwarves or they could be actual elves. So I took a uh, three clans of dwarves, Norse dwarves, had them be kidnapped by Loki, fed the afterbirth of his children, the uh, Fenris wolf, Jormungandr, mm -hmm. uh, hell. That meal twisted them. Ooh. They have elements of the serpent, they have elements of the wolf, and they cannot die except in battle. That's so great. That's their black blood, the blood of orcs, would be black in, in Tolkien. Uh, mine, the black blood, is from uh, severe hemochromatosis. If they stand still or stay still too long, they'll die. Like a shark. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if they ever lose contact with their anger, they will die also. Because wow. their blood will solidify. And they will just turn into a oh, that's fascinating. meat statue with an yeah, iron. Yeah, it's definitely an yeah. interesting concept. Yeah. What a take. Um, so the Gathering of Ravens is the story of the last of the orcs. And it borrows from Beowulf, and it borrows from Lord of the Rings, and it borrows from Norse myth. So Grimner, who is our orc, and I purposely picked a name that they also used to call Odin. Odin was also known as Grimner. Yeah. Mm. And so all of the all of the orc names that I use are alternate names of, of Odin. And they they hate Odin. Odin destroyed them. They worship Ymir and Loki. So this one orc who is left emerges from his cave one day, and he's been on a 500-year quest to bring vengeance to the person who murdered his brother. And that should, that's a small hint that the person who murdered his brother is also immortal. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So he emerges into a world where the religion has changed. Uh, he does not like Christians. And but they're everywhere, so he kind of has to get along with them. So he kidnaps one of them. And he finds out that the person he's after is in England somewhere. He kidnaps this Christian, and they hightail it to England. And along the way, now, the, the person that he kidnaps is a woman. And I also got into a whole lot of trouble with this because people thought this was so sexist she was hiding as a man because that would have made it easier to travel sure i mean that so, historically yeah. makes sense yeah. everybody thought she was it was supposed to be a gay man and i was like throwing shade on gay folks because i should have made that a gay man a gay man is not going to have as much trouble as a woman traveling yeah mm. yeah right so and apparently it, it just wasn't I hate to say PC enough, but you know they they thought it should have been something else, so they took to Goodreads and you know almost started kindling torches and coming after me, but luckily it died out. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's tough. Like. Yeah, I could see the pickle that that would. Yeah. May or may not put one in. I just, I, I just feel like benefit of the doubt is is always a good rule of thumb, right? Like. Yeah. Anyways, well, like with 
I guess a lot of them were young that were pointing it out. Sure. And yeah. I'm like, look, if you're a man, no matter who your bed partner is, you're going to have an easier time of it. Right. Yeah. On the road. Yeah. Yep. Just yeah. traveling on the road, you are going to well, just... That's right. I mean, there's plenty of authors who paint a grim picture of what, you know, a setting like this would be for, you know, you and, know. and that's, that's really interesting. It's funny that something like that would be what people would fixate on. Cause again, just going back to my own uh, readings of Bernard Cornwell, like there's plenty mm -hmm. of, uh, I'll say marginalization of women oh, in, yeah. in the periods that I've read because women were marginalized wow. in that period. Like, I mean, it's just, that the way it is like they yeah. unfortunately you know in a, in a in a brutal time period where violence often decided a lot of things they were on the wrong end of it unfortunately yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They, i mean norse women had it better than most mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but i mean i would not have wanted to be like an english woman and, and that's specifically yeah. again i'm going back to the archer's tale yeah. and again um oh, yeah, hundred years war like a war-torn um england and france like when you roll into a village uh, with your, uh, you know, with with your your army or, or force, you're just going to take what you want to take. Yeah. Right. And that's unfortunately and, the way it is. It was. And, you know, that's. Well, and I, I think what ends up happening, too, is like if we have a new generation of writers and we're writing fantasy tales, I th think a lot of people's argument is, well, we should if it's a fantasy tale, then we open it up to be, you know, it doesn't have to be as grim as history truly is sure. but with what you're with what you're doing where you're you're placing it in a historic setting it would be right. disingenuous to paint it any other way right right so i had and that's the thing with you know you can add a certain amount of fantasy mm -hmm. you have to make sure the history is correct or as close to correct as possible right. or it doesn't feel authentic and then you may as well right. have just made it fantasy land right right yeah yeah exactly so I have the historical figures that I use are where they were supposed to be in history at that time. But I changed some of the context of what they were doing. Huh. Hmm. Like uh, uh, King Olaf of, of Norway, up until he attacks England, he was a pagan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He attacks England. He has a his half of his crew uh, uh, mutinied against him. And they fought them off. They ran away. He was wounded. During his recovery, he, he converted. And it was on the Scilly Islands off the coast of England. So I have him doing that. But the person that causes that is my villain, who's never mentioned in history. Huh. You know? Sure. And it's, yeah. So he... he He's inserting himself, or I'm inserting him, into various points of history. Like in, if you've read Spears of Clontarf. Uh, oh, that's yeah. a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I worked Clontarf into it. I worked the whole nine months. Wow. Uh, the, he takes what is basically the role of Broder in the story, where Broder is the head of the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one that sacrifices the, the, the you know, cut, has the heart cut out of the, the victim and partway through the story. Mm. So that's Broder, who is Broder of Man. He is from the, the island of Man. He was a real figure. Oh, cool. So I have him 
in the background is Broder, but I have all of the deeds of Broder being taken by my villain. Interesting. And I, and I think that's a good way to go. Like, I, I enjoy that. I, I love the, yeah. the, the play on history. I, again, coming from where the, the things that I've read, I think yeah. that that's very, that, that's similar. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, as a, um, as a RPG guy myself, uh, like tabletop RPG, I really oh, yeah. enjoy playing historical settings occasionally uh-huh. where yeah. you have an influence as a piece of history. Of course, you're not, you know, George Washington or something like that, but you're, right. whatever you did made it possible for the decision that George Washington made that then led to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, I love stuff like that. I love that. I, I think that's a lot of fun. My gaming group didn't love stuff like that, so we didn't get to play much. <laughs> but, but, so, you know, I, I have Grimner hunting down. Grimner's brother, his nickname was Grendel. Grendel? Grendel. Yeah. The person who killed him, it's, his name is Bjarki Halfdane. Bjarki uh-huh. is the original version of Beowulf. Yeah. yeah. So that's where the story of Beowulf fits into it. Mm. Now, uh, this really reminds me of Broken Sword by Poole Anderson, and I feel like I'm not going out on a limb saying you've read that. Is that? I have. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's a, I like that book. I thought yeah, it was that's cool. a good book. I do like that one a lot. And his uh, Cracky Halfdane saga. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one too. I've also read the actual, you know, read the actual sagas themselves. Sure. Too. Those are grimdark. <laughs> I have a copy of the Vinland sagas, but I haven't read it yet. I really like collecting um, like the journals of, of explorers. I have Marco Polo's journals and even yeah. Batuta's journals. I think those are really cool. Yeah, I have Columbus and Ben Batuta's. I have the saga of Geasley in my basement that a friend of mine oh, yeah. gave me to read years ago, and I didn't because I suck. Because <laughs> I suck. Burton Isles saga is good too. So we've we've dug pretty much into uh, a gathering of ravens, and of course yeah. that's available um, anywhere right now. Yep. Um, so if you have not, if you're a listener and you have not checked this book out, you definitely should. Well, and I would also add, and I think Scott would probably uh, appreciate this, that if you have read the book and you like the book, for God's sakes, write a review of the book and post it online. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, reviews matter. Reviews, stars, anything like that. I, I, I take all of those as correct. Yeah. I, I promised my friend Laura I was going to ask this real quick because she's such a huge Marvel fan and you're at least tenuously involved with Marvel. And she wants to know how someone that is creative would be looked at or would catch the eye of someone like Marvel. How does, how does that happen? How did you get involved with Marvel? Ah. Uh. Blackgate's blog a couple of years ago, Bob Byrne had mentioned from talking with uh, Frederick Malmberg, I think at the Howard days, mm. that he was contemplating getting the, the publishing program restarted. And so I was like giddy as a, you know, I was, I was clapping my hands and all this, <laughs> and I kept bugging because he said he was going to do an interview with him and find out more information. So for a year, I was bugging him about where's the interview, where's the interview, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm busy doing this or that." And I'm like, "Damn it, man, where's the interview?" <laughs> so I figure I'm not going to get anywhere that, anywhere that way. So I just start 
figuring out which of my friends might know him <laughs> and asking them to put in a good word for me. <laughs> Rad. Turns out I have several friends that knew him very well. And the, I think the one that really swayed it was Rusty Burke. Rusty Burke told him I was a good rider. I'm like, yay, Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> and when I finally got his email address and introduced myself, he had heard of me. He had looked at my work. Uh, if I wanted to write something, if I was available, let him know, and they'd work something out. Right. Is this, sorry, is this Fred? Fred Frederick? Yes. Romberg, <laughs> yeah. Fred. Yep. yeah, I'm pretty so sure you're... A very nice guy. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure yeah. I met him at creeps uh... on our Facebook page sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it creeping. <laughs> he, he he keeps an eye on uh the Conan gaming group. I I I met yeah. him and uh Howard Andrew Jones at Gen Con uh yeah. and with Jason Dural who's like the the line editor at uh Modifius for Conan. Yeah. And we all nerded out hard at like the cabinet party. Yeah. And talking about like this was where not much had been said about perilous worlds other than, you know, the sort of announcement, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you can just tell all those guys are, they're, they're super into it. Very affable, uh, gentlemen. Yeah. I almost See, feel like, not... I feel like your name almost came up during that time too. Hmm. I, I mean, he I don't even, strike I, me as, he, he strikes me as somebody who is genuinely interested in the, the IP. He oh, yeah. actually likes Conan. Oh, I didn't totally. get the feeling from anything I'd ever read about Elsprague de Camp that he actually liked Conan. Mm. He actually uh, it was more of a cash cow. Yeah, yeah. 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 Especially and, given his Conan pastiches, like where he just takes like El Borak stories and then puts Conan in it. Yeah. It's like it was just a or way the one to where he puts out. satires in it. Yeah. Yeah. The satires, <laughs> Killing man. me. Oof. That was a decent but, book up until that point, though. I enjoyed it for what it was, and then yeah. they destroyed it with that. I, I actually didn't hate all of the Lynn Carter stuff. Like, no, I liked some of the yeah, some like of the I, pastiches I liked. I think Curse of the Monolith is cool as hell. Like, I still yeah. like that story. Thing in the Crypt I always liked. Yeah, Thing in the Crypt's cool, too. A uh, couple others I, I always you know enjoyed, but... Uh, yeah, Fred strikes me as, as a guy that is actually interested in the well-being of the, the IP more than just as a as a way to make money. Oh, totally. So so that made me feel good. Yeah. So I had actually done some work on the uh, with Jeff Shanks on the lore part of the Modiphius game. Okay. Yes, that's right. You were involved in that. Yeah, me and a guy named Lula Gresta wrote one of the adventures. Uh, basically, Lou wrote the adventure, and I wrote the flavor text because I suck at doing games. Which adventure was it? <laughs> uh, Red the Red Pit. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I actually okay. played. I played that uh, yeah. when we were when we were play testing. Yeah, apparently they did not like. Uh, I think at the time it was uh, somebody else was in charge, not Jason. They didn't okay. care for it a lot. Oh, so I thought it was kind of got bad setup. Yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, it was based on the uh, the the mine at Syracuse where they put the prisoners of the Peloponnesian War. Mm. So, <laughs> yes, I remember reading a line about people being you are <laughs> something, but you are whalebone and gristle. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, uh, that's a Solomon Cain line, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it is. yeah, yeah. 
Uh, see, I know, I, I know my I stuff. Love that line, though. Nice. Man, I love that line. Oh, it popped right out at me. I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's funny. So, I'm I'm excited to be working on it, and I get a, a call from my my agent, and Perilous World to talk to him, and they had an idea, you know, that they're going to put. Uh, novellas in the back of all of the, uh, the Conan titles. So there's three of them. Yeah. They wanted me to write a novella. Uh, it had to be about 18,000 words and it had to have 1500 word chapters, no more than 1500 words per chapter. Hmm. And he was like, well, you know, if you do this, it's going to be weird. It's going to be like writing action haiku. (laughs) (laughs) uh, He was right. He said, but you know, this would be, it'd be good for, for your visibility. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you should do this. I said, you are my boss, basically. And so we signed the contract, and I sat down to write this. I cannot stand writing 1,500-word chapters. Yeah, it's going to be a bit challenging. Yeah. Oh, my, oh my God. It was, it was horrible. My average chapter is 3,000 words. Mm, wow. So I had to – yeah, I had to cut some of these down. I had to cut one of them down by – Close to two thousand words. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, but so far it it seems like you kind of uh, you're navigating it rather well yeah. with just these bite size vignettes. Yeah, I I think so. I think it when you read it as a whole, it makes a whole lot more sense than when you read it chapter mm-hmm. at a time. Sure. Uh, well, I sat down and read them in one sitting, which was certainly right helpful. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you think so far? Uh, yeah, personally, like not to I'm say anything bad that. about John C. Hawking because I like his story too in Barbarian. I, I enjoy yours more. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I feel the same way, and I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I read I read Hawking's Emerald Lotus, and I did like it. I think he's he's got a good grasp on Howard as well. Yeah. But I, I mean it when I say it, like. Yours is uh, it's probably the best emulation of Howard for sure. Yeah, well, thank you. That, that was it. one thing I wanted to also just kind of throw out there is that it must just be so cool to wear the mantle every now and then, right? Like you ever like just, like kick back and just say, "Yeah, this, this is like this is what I'm doing right I, now." I do that way more than I should ever admit. <laughs> I mean, I th- that's cool. It's cool. Right. Uh, because this is, this is what I wanted to do when I was a child, right? Conan. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, you yeah. you said in the very beginning, you grew up. Yeah. I mean, Howard is an influence, is an influence. And here you are yeah. kind of being like, I get to do this. I get to play yeah. Howard. I get to be Conan. I get to do it all. This is bucket list territory. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, everybody's like, well, aren't you afraid of losing your own style? I'm like, my entire life I've been doing this hey, stuff. You've been training yeah. for this moment yeah. your entire yeah. life. This is my I, rocky moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know how you feel. Like I I grew up playing games and yeah. grew up on Conan and I got the opportunity to write a Conan game book and yeah. it's it's certainly very bucket listy. Now have you found that people don't quite understand why you want to do this and they wonder why you don't just do your own original version of it? Uh well for me, no, I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any agents knocking down my door. Editors saying, well, no, "Hey, these, man, these are, we want the real Matt regular, Sullivan stuff." <laughs> now these are just regular people, regular folks. Oh I'll yeah. I'll tell yeah. them, you know, I'm doing this, and they're like, "Well, aren't you? Don't you want to do your own stuff?" And I'm like, 
I could write a barbarian story that is Robert E. Howard with the serial numbers filed off. Yeah. You Not a problem. I could you do love that. that. You love that term. I love that. <laughs> it's a good term. And yeah, I, I could do that in my sleep. Yeah, but it is not the same thing as playing in the sandbox that he created. Yeah, right. That's I mean, true. I, I, I liken it to um, the way an artist must feel, like a comic book artist, right? Yeah. When they get the call and someone says, "Hey, we want you to to do Batman," you know, you probably just lose your mind at that. Well, a friend of mine from high school, uh, his name is Cully Hamner. He is a comic book artist, mm-hmm. and I can remember back in those days when he. Before he moved to Atlanta, joined a studio, you know, he got the call to do a comic book. And I have never seen somebody so beside themselves. I, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, and I also, nice. I, I need to remark on the fact that you're, the fate of the people around you that you grew up with and that happened to just be in your path, it's, it's uncanny. It is. It's mm. kind of weird. Yeah, it's really, it's oh, very interesting. Oh, hang on. If you want your mind blown, let me tell you a story. <laughs> This might take a minute, so I hope y'all don't have anywhere to be. Nope, it's okay. <laughs> so, Lion of Cairo. If you've ever seen the British version of Lion of Cairo, it has a really, you know, bitching cover. It's a Larry Rostant cover. Larry Rostant is a photo artist. So, he originally takes a photo of the person, and then he works it into a cover. And, I mean, this guy's like, you know, $100,000 per cover. So they spared no expense for this this the British okay. version. A hundred thousand? Yeah, I mean this guy is like ridiculously expensive. Whoa. <laughs> and this was back when he was at the, I I'm not sure if he's at the height of his game now, but this was back in the in the early aughts when he was. And he was at one time the most uh, sought after cover designer. Well, the American version had this white dude with you know, he looked like I don't, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger mainly, wearing a cloak. We didn't like this, so they used the British version, but just changed the angle. They sold it to the, you know, to the British before it ever came out, and it was sitting. The guy who did, who's, who was the model, had it sitting on his coffee table. Now. For reference, this guy who was the model on that was on the show Nightfall recently. He was the assassin. Hmm. His name is Akin Ghazi. Uh, if you ever watch Nightfall, uh, I'm hopefully not spoiling it for anybody. One of the younger assassins was killed. The older assassin is Akin Ghazi, that was the guy's father. Hmm. He is Assad on the cover of, of the book. Okay. So, yeah. You're looking him wow. up, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So, because, yeah. like, the cover of the book is is awesome. It's a fantastic cover. Oh, my God. You should see the actual physical book. They, I mean, they had, like, the purple-tipped pages. They had, like, it was, oh, man. It was one of the most beautiful <laughs> books I've ever seen. You also bring up the TV show Nightfall, which I haven't watched, but I've been mm-hmm. meaning to check it out. Yeah. Is it worth watching? It is. I enjoyed it. Now, cool. it's not like accurate history. It is sure. very much pulpy history. Oh, perfect. Uh, That's exactly okay. what I wanted out of it. So. <laughs> okay. This guy has the book sitting on his, his coffee table. Let me back up a second. 
while riding the Lion of Cairo. My biggest stumbling block is I could not figure out what my main character looked like. I did not know what Assad looked like. I had no earthly idea. So it wasn't coming together because I could not put myself in his shoes. So I was really frustrated one night, flipped on cable, and there was a show that came on called The Path to 9-11. And it was one of these docudramas where they, yeah. you know. Yeah, if you ever watch it, it was not a bad show. There was an actor who played uh, an Afghan warlord named Masood. If you've ever studied 9-11, before o uh, Osama bin Laden could attack, he had to kill Masood because Masood was in charge. It was basically our last defense in Afghanistan. The man had a great biography. They've since taken it down and sanitized it. But in his original biography, he went into the hills fought genies, and kicked out the Russians. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah, but they, they changed, and I'm sure they still have, you know, those stories about him, but they just don't put them online anymore. Sure. His nickname was the Lion of Panjshir. Now, I also didn't have a title until that, just that moment. Huh? So, Lion of Cairo, Lion of Panjshir. It was like, oh, great. So the actor who played him in the show was an actor named Mito Hamada. I had no earthly idea who this man was. He just looked like the part that I needed. So I found a, a picture of him, and that became my Assad. So, you know, they do the photo shoot. The actor has, you know, the model on the cover, has it on his, his coffee table. Who picks it up and starts reading it but Mito Hamada? Of course. <laughs> uh, the the universe it. conspires in your favor. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it doesn't even stop there. That's incredible. He really enjoyed it. He went and found all my other books at the time, the other two. Something about Minibrons really, really struck a chord with him. And he decided that he was going to try to produce it as a series or as a movie. So he calls me up. And first he can uh, contacts me on Facebook. I run it through my agent, make sure he's legit. So then I send him my phone number. He calls me up. I'm in the parking lot of a, of a Kroger in a podunk town. <laughs> and we're sitting there talking. He's like, yeah, I saw, you know, the cover of, of Lion of Cairo and, you know, the, you know, the guy is a friend of mine and read it and, and got your other books. And At this point, the name did not click. I did not know who I was talking to. <laughs> I go home. I Google. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the same guy. Yep. Yep. That's crazy. That's so next time I talk to him, I tell him that. And he is, he's like, we are, we are now connected for life. Yep. And they're still trying to make Men of Bronze into some kind of either a cable series, movie, something. Wow. Excellent. And yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's Now, funny thing is, his wife, have you ever seen the movie Resident Evil? Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. You liked it, definitely. You remember the the, the the researcher at the beginning that drops the vial? Yeah. Becomes a floating zombie later on? That's <sighs> his wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And so that was that's one of the weirdest synchronizations I have ever seen. That is incredible. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. And, I mean, it's it's almost as weird as me reading your prose today while listening to the soundtrack to King Arthur. Yes. I mean, come on. Yeah, there's I mean, a lot of weirdness going on here. I mean, yeah. and, and it's it's amazing because now we all know the guy who knows all those guys. So, you know. Yeah. It's uh, worked out really well for us. You can join and, the Kevin Bacon game. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say, right. one of them knows Kevin Bacon. Right. Yeah. right. But my so, wife says I'm just a, like a weird synchronicity magnet. That's yeah, not I'm a bad starting thing. To believe it. Not starting a bad to thing. believe it. So Scott, I have uh, one other interesting question for you. Okay. Um, sort of, kind of twisted around a little bit on you. You have uh, you've given us a lot of good history. You've given us a lot of good writing knowledge. But I want to know what the one guilty pleasure is that you have in the sword and sorcery genre. There's got to be something that's in there that you are embarrassed that you like. We're not embarrassed, but you know what I mean. It's not in the sword and sorcery genre, but uh, my wife likes, you know, the, the women's novels. Sure. Not romance, but the, I guess like the women's feel-good novels. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. she introduced me to a writer named Kathy Lamb. And I started reading her books, and they are the funniest books I have ever read. She is hilarious. Uh, just weird women stuff. <laughs> and, you know, she's a great writer. You know, I'll, I'll actually sit there and laugh out loud at some of the stuff that she writes. That's great. It's rare to get something yeah. that'll make you laugh out loud when reading. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, she has, she, she'll always come up with nicknames for her characters. Like one of the, the bad guy characters is named Slick Willie. Uh, there's a reason for that because the the female character super glued his his yeah down to yeah. <laughs> I think we get the picture. Yeah, uh, one of the other ones is Dan the Migrant Devil. <laughs> I mean, just weird, you know, endearing stuff like that. That's funny. That's and good. she always has like little old lady women with guns in their handbags, and, you know, strange. Yeah. I've always wondered what the male equivalent of that would be. I've looked around trying to find the male equivalent of the of the female magical realism type novel. Hmm. Hmm. Yet to find one. It's a good question, but it sounds like that's a genre that's uh, waiting to be born. You know, I just might sit down and write one. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> So listen, we we really appreciate all the time that you've given us uh, some oh, amazing stories. Yeah, of some really really cool stories. Um, why don't you take a second just to talk uh, a little bit more? Give yourself a, a, a quick plug for uh, your work that you've done, the work that's coming up, um, and then after that, we'll uh, we'll start to take it out. Okay. Well, if you're interested in historical fiction, my first book, Men of Bronze, is available as an ebook from Crossroad Press. Uh, along with a book called Memnon, which is one of my favorites. Uh, from St. Martin's, we have Gathering of Ravens, and soon we will have its sequel, Twilight of the Gods. 
you can read some about it on my website, and I'll try to update that and get rid of the bad information. <laughs> uh, I've also written, of course, as we talked, for Marvel uh, as a, a backup story to Savage Sword of Conan. And I've written a few short stories that appeared in other places, like Lawyers in Hell, and in a book called Sea of Sorrow, uh, which is historical versions of Odysseus without the magic. Hmm. And oh. one I had to write was about the Cyclops. Okay. The Cyclops with no magic was hard to do. John Goodman. No, yeah. a really tall Egyptian with one eye. You know what I was referencing and, there? Does anyone know? Yeah. Brother, that's, brother, uh, where art thou? Uh, brother, where art thou? Yeah. Oh yeah, that was based on. I am the man of yeah. constant sorrow. <laughs> oh, you get your southern accent in there. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Logan, for that outro. You're well, not a southern accent. No, I'm from Nebraska. I think you we're defined do... by a lack of accent. You can't do no southern accent. <laughs> you guys don't know about what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I'm just here parking the car in Harvard Yard, so. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do a Boston accent without swearing. Yeah, well, that's pretty accurate, actually. Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can only do Southern because I'm Southern. <laughs> so yeah, if I people mean... wanted to find you, Scott, uh, sorry, I, I'm jumping on the, uh, the, the accent talk here. Did you have another one you wanted to do there, Matt? No, I just... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to want to imitate Scott's accent after this show, but I'm not, I'm going to be kind and not do it on air. Yeah. No, be... come on. I want to know what I sound like. Well, you I sound don't hear, I don't hear like, an accent. Yeah, kind of like you're about to something, and uh, we're all listening to it. You you're doing like Hank, Hank Hill. Hill. Hank Hill. I'm sorry. Oh, I sound like a pastor? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's Hank Hill. Let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you what. You've got to repent, my son. <laughs> Uh, and, Can I get an amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, don't take it personally, Scott. I, oh, I no, no. I have a fairly anybody. neutral accent for the South. So. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think not, it is. It's not a, heavy. It's definitely not a heavy accent. Yeah, I get tired, I really start. But, uh, well, if, if people wanted to find you online, where would they take a go? Uh, my <laughs> website, uh, scottoden.wordpress.com. Uh, I'm all over social media, even though I'm not supposed to be, because I'm supposed to not be wasting my time. Uh, Goodreads, I'm there. Uh, Twitter, I'm all over. Excellent. So everyone, go out, get some literature for yourself, and give a, a good review. As we said, everyone can use good reviews. And also, while you're here, if you like uh, listening to Rogues in the House, uh, give us a good iTunes review if you if you listen to it on uh, your, your phone or anything like that. Guys, last thoughts? Willow still sucks. Oh. <laughs> you know, I, I was going to say I'd, le I'd love to have you back, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to make sure that I, I, I get that soundtrack to you in some way so you can use that as inspiration when you write. Oh, God, I'll be writing about midgets. <laughs> <laughs> midgets yeah, and babies. Not the special kind. Either. I stole a dakini, baby. <laughs> well, maybe on that note, we'll call it a podcast. Yeah, I call it a, call it out on the dakini, yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get the last word in. So, yeah. Scott, again, thank you so much. 
Uh, really appreciate re- it. Really, really appreciate it. It was a really, really fun time. Uh, and you now, you and you, you actually now have the record as the the longest podcast so far. Woo-hoo! So congratulations. You know, it's down to fifteen minutes, though, aren't you? <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. That Willow comment. Yeah. <laughs> Axe the whole thing. Yeah. All right. We we're gonna have him on, but he's an asshole. So we're <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if anyone ever takes a longer podcast, we'll give you a chance to defend your title and come back on. Oh, I got all kinds of stories. I can just ramble on. You know, just put, put your headphones down, go do your thing, come back later. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, again, thank you very, very much. Well, thank uh, you all for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And congratulations on your nomination. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. So for Matt Logan and Scott, this is Alex. And may your swords always remain sharp. Thank you, Logan, for that outro. Dakini, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs>